Well, of course, this is a unique experience for me and for each of you as well. And as I was praying and planning to share scripture with you today, I was thinking about some lessons that we can learn from scripture and from the pandemic in which we find ourselves. I'm going to share some of these lessons with you this morning. And then if the Lord spares my life and uh, we are under these circumstances still, then some more lessons on, uh, from the scriptures on the pandemic next Lord's Day. The first lesson I would like us to take from scripture is that anxiety hates prayer. You realize that, don't you? That your anxiety hates prayer to God. The two things don't go together. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we read, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That sounds like a good deal to me. To be exchanging my anxiety to my prayer and trust in God. And God even makes a guarantee that as we pray and push away anxiety by a choice, he will grant us his peace, not circumstantial peace, but his peace rooted in him, and that can be our portion. In fact, that peace can guard, can garrison around the fort of our hearts and minds in ways that are necessary, in days that are anxious. What we're really seeing in this pair of verses is that anxiety and prayer are like a light switch. You can't have a light switch in two positions at the same time. Either the light is on or the light is off. When it comes to this, either we are praying and without anxiety or we are with anxiety and not praying. The choice is ours. It was Corey Ten Boom, the survivor of the Holocaust, who made these observations. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. That lines up with these two verses of Scripture. And so the first lesson for me and for all of us is anxiety hates prayer. The second lesson is that we ought to love our fear away. Or to make it personal, love your fear away. In 1 John 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And so these, this verse is telling us to love our fear away. To make it personal, you can love your fear away. Now I'm aware that the context of 1 John 4.18 is principally the end day judgment. That's when we are to love our fear away about the end time judgment. But it also has secondary application to now, here and now. We can love our fears away. Jesus said the greatest commandment of all of the commandments was to love the Lord your God. And the secondary important law is to love your neighbor. By the way, 
going into Super Value or Solomon's or some other place and hoarding grocery purchases is not loving your neighbor. Because everything you take off the shelf in a hoarding manner takes it off the shelf for your neighbor to have. Give that some thought. In this time when many nerves are on edge, another way to love our neighbor is not to be impatient, to choose the fruit of the Spirit of patience in traffic, in lineups, in clinics, wherever we might go, to love our neighbor. Not to be selfish, but prayerfully to be thoughtful, to obey the protocols that are before us medically, not to just uh, pay them no heed. That's selfish. There are silent carriers of this virus, that we could be carrying the virus, and if we ignore the protocols, we could be endangering people that are near to us. Love your neighbor. I ran across a picture this week that I'd like to show you. It's of an A&E doctor who is wearing a gown, as you can see, a mask and a cap. He's treating people who are exposed to this virus, who are sick with it, and he's holding up that sign that says, I stayed at work for you, you stay at home for us. Love your neighbor. Don't just do what you would like to do, what you think is okay to do. Obey the protocols and love your neighbor. Well, the first lesson, anxiety hates prayer. And the second, love your fear away. The third lesson is it's God and me. It's divine sovereignty that God is boss with human responsibility that we do what we know is good to do. Divine sovereignty is married to human responsibility. They are not enemies of each other. They go together. Philippians uh, 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's human responsibility. For it is God who works, is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's divine sovereignty. So these two verses are saying that when it comes to our salvation and our sanctification as believers in Jesus Christ, that divine sovereignty is a friend of human responsibility, and human responsibility is a friend of divine sovereignty. Deals with pandemics, too. We call out to God in divine sovereignty to protect us, our families, our church our nation, our world. But we have human responsibilities, ways that doctors and scientists tell us that we can help stop the spread of the virus. It's divine sovereignty, prayer, and it's human responsibility, obedience to the protocols that have been given to us. Praise the Lord, we have protocols, that they know enough about it that they can tell us how to reduce the risk of spreading it. Now, someone might ask, who benefits from this pandemic? Does, do people somehow benefit from this pandemic? Well, I am not going to go into that as terms of an economic question, but I will answer and I'll tell you who benefits most from this pandemic. God. God benefits most from this pandemic because God is control of everything and he has his purposes in everything including this pandemic. In fact, in Romans eleven thirty three to 36, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? First given to him that it might be repaid. For from him, listen, for from him and through him and to him are all things, including COVID-19. To him be glory forever. Is this not a wake-up call on all the continents of the world? And do persons have a chance to run to God or to run away from God? We need to pray for persons to come to Christ, to the cross of Calvary, in simple and profound and basic faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, who he is and what he has done. By the way, if you're listening to this stream and you don't know that you know Jesus as your Savior, what better time to confess your own sins, shortcomings in God's sight, to thank him for Jesus who historically was proven he died on a cross and shed his blood and the grave couldn't hold Jesus. He rose from the dead. Why not run to this wonderful, loving God who wants you and say, I am a sinner in need of the Savior. I trust Christ and Christ alone to make me right with you, God. First lesson, anxiety hates prayer. Second lesson, love your fear away. Third lesson, it's God and me. The fourth lesson, hey, it's my first pandemic. (laughs) Tom Melzoni has observed, and I quote, your pastor has never pastored a church through a pandemic before. When they open, people are going to say they should have closed. And when they close, people are going to say they should have opened. When they shake hands with people, people are going to say they have faith. When they shake hands with people, people are going to say they're foolish. They are going to make some difficult decisions to protect the flock, considering everything from your spiritual growth to legal liabilities that perhaps you aren't even thinking about. Remember this. No one wants things to go well at your church as much as your pastor. Your pastor needs your prayers and support right now. And although you can't touch, then give them a high five in the air, end of quote. I want to sincerely thank you who have phoned me and expressed your love and support of the ministry we have, of our church ministries, and assured me that you are praying for me and for the other church leaders. Thank you so much. We really need your prayers, and God is helping us, and he's helping all of us to come through this together in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and, yes, forever. As you pray for me and the other church leaders, would you pray that our walk with Jesus Christ would be so close and intimate and so obedient to the word of God that our daily living as Christian leaders would be worth you copying? Please pray for that. That's the kind of leader I want to be.
And I know the other leaders of our church feel exactly the same way. Now I have a warning from the Word of God in love. A warning from the Word of God that's based on Philippians 2, verse 14, which says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know, grumbling and disputing and complaining may be just as serious a virus as the coronavirus. And I would suggest that you social distance yourself from grumblers, be they in person, on social media, or on television, or on radio. Grumbling, disputing, and complaining may just be as serious a virus as corona. Philippians 2.14 again, do all things without grumbling or disputing. The last lesson for this morning from the scriptures and the pandemic, number five, it's a can and not a can't focus that we should have. It's a can and not a can't focus that we should have. For instance, we can't hug and handshake, but we can pick up the phone and encourage. We can't touch our faces, but we can raise our faces to God in prayer and worship. We can't buy all the hand sanitizers we'd like to buy, but there is God's grace and mercy that are never sold out. We can't be part of a small group in our church, but we can take a greater interest in the small group that God has given us with our spouse and with our children at home. We can't visit in the hospital, but we can take a walk out of doors and pray. We can't get calmed down by the press, but we can give more attention to the Bible, which will calm us down. We can't fail to wash our hands, but we can decide to wash our hearts. I was thinking this week as I was washing my hands with soap for at least 20 seconds, what would it be like in my Christian life if every time I washed my hands with soap for 20 seconds, I asked the Holy Spirit to search me to see if there's any wicked weight in me and to lead me in the way everlasting? What if your hand washing time could also be emblematic of a heart washing time when you seek the Lord? Is there any sin in my life? I'll confess and admit it to you and experience your forgiveness and get a clean heart again, just like I'm getting clean hands. We can't spend close time together with another person, but we can forgive another person and in our hearts move closer to them than we were before we forgave them. We can't ignore the need to quarantine when we need to quarantine, but we can choose to get alone for our own spiritual healing. We can't know when this will end, but we can know who will end it. We can't control all that happens to us, but we can control our responses to what happens to us and our testimonies in the midst of what happens to us. We all can't be comfortable. But we can all bring about glory to God in our discomfort. And so, for all of us as believers in Jesus, our focus needs to be regularly monitored. 
Do you know why? Because our focus totally, quickly, constantly changes all over the place. I liken it to a housefly. A housefly doesn't sit anywhere in our houses for any length of time. He's flitting all over the place. It's hard to swat them because they're moving so much. Our focus can be the same way. We can be all over the map, focusing on God one second and focusing on ourselves the next second. Focusing on prayer one second and then focusing on grumbling the next second. And so all of us must monitor with the Holy Spirit's assistance our focus. What are we focusing on? Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 are a wonderful pair of verses. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, watch it, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's focus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The cross was Jesus' focus. Jesus should be our focus. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, yes. We must monitor our focus with the word of God and with the spirit of God. And may I say with the people of God. When you're near to another Christian four to six feet with sanitized hands and you have a stinky attitude and they care for you enough to say it's a stinky attitude that doesn't honor Jesus, accept it. Focus on Jesus again. I've told you before that when I was learning to drive in Toronto, the driving instructor took us to a downtown street that was heavily parked on both sides of the street. It was allowed, parking was allowed on both sides of this narrow street. And the, the driving instructor says, go down this road. And I looked at it, I said, it looks so narrow. I, I can't do that, man. He said, yes, you can. There's enough room for you. Trust me, go down the open road. And of course, as a rookie driver, not wanting to wreck the driving instructor's car, I was just so focused in on the parked cars on this side and the parked cars on that side. And before I knew it, when my focus was on these parked cars, my hands were turning the steering wheel toward what, toward what I was trying to avoid. And his car was a fancy driving school car. He had his own brake pedal. And he put his brake, he put his foot on his brake pedal, and he stopped the car and he said, Son, you're getting close to the parked cars because you're looking at what you don't want to hit. You need to put your eyes in the middle of the open road to where you want the car to go. Because your hands will even subconsciously adjust to steer the steering wheel where your eyes are looking. Where are your eyes looking? Where should your eyes look? In God's word. We can come through this not in our own strength or smarts, but we can come through this with the sovereign God, the loving Savior, the precious gift of the Holy Spirit living within us when we're saved. We can come through this, not somehow, but triumphantly. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are in control. And although these are uncharted waters, they are not uncontrolled waters. 
Thank you, God, that you are our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Thank you that you are our Lord, the Lord of hosts, the angels. And thank you that you as the Lord of hosts are with us, that the God of Jacob is our stronghold. We pray these things in our living Savior's name. Amen. Thank you.